Welcome to the Thrills and Chills podcast brought to you by ShareBirding Clue. This is a show all about establishing product marketing and being the first product marketer. I'm your host, JD Prater. Today, we got a really fun episode as I'm chatting with Lauren Craigie, the director of product marketing at DBT Labs, formerly known as Fishtown Analytics. This company has been an absolute rocket ship. And last week, they announced their Series C round of $150 million, making them a unicorn. But before we get into that, let's give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Clue, for making this show possible. Clue is the leading competitive enablement platform for product marketers that want to drive revenue for their business. It helps product marketers to easily collect, curate, and distribute insights that enable your revenue teams to beat their competition. Head over to Clue.com. Dot com, that's K-L-U-E.com to learn more. And be sure to check out the ShareBird job board as I was just peeking at it and there are lots of first product marketer jobs on that board. Let's get started. Lauren, you joined Fishtown Analytics as their head of product marketing. You are working on establishing the function, building out the team. You've been there for just over six months now. Talk to me about Fishtown Analytics. What is this company? Does it have to do with fishing and analytics? And also, what have you been working on? Yeah, great question. We do get that all the time. Fishtown's <laughs> actually a neighborhood in Philadelphia, which is kind of where the company originates, but a lot of people don't actually know that. Fishtown Analytics are the original makers and current maintainers of a tool called DVT. That's a tool for analysts and engineers to transform, deploy, and monitor really reliable data sets. So it sounds pretty simple, but it is shaking things up in the data space right now. Super impressive. I mean, when you go back for those listening, go look at their funding. I mean, you see a series A and then like a year later, you're looking at like another series led by Sequoia, another 30 million. And you're like, what is this company? I'm so intrigued by this space. And so coming in as the head of product marketing, that's got to feel pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. If you mean terrifying, then for sure. That is exactly <laughs> how it feels right now. Honestly, I feel like most of the excitement I felt originally came from interviewing with the CEO and the three founders and just feeling really great about their level of enthusiasm. And it really wasn't until like my first few weeks, month or so, you start reading articles, you get into the Slack community. There's 13,000 people that are just going nuts over the solution. It really starts to hit you like, oh, right. Okay. So this actually feels like it's life-changing for users and maybe for me as well. So that's when it really started to hit. Oh, wow. Well, that's pretty cool. So outside of like meeting with the founder, like what drew you to the company and to the team, to the role? Yeah. When I was looking for other opportunities after Bug Crowd, I had like a very specific list of things I was looking for. I knew what I wanted to learn next in my career. And that's really what was driving my decisions about what companies I was going to be interviewing with. So it probably sounds very silly and very niche, but I was looking for companies that were following a bottom-up motion through marketing. So marketing more to the end user versus the enterprise. Obviously, you're going to have a bit of both everywhere. But when you have companies that are more product-led growth, it is going to be a very different focus for a product marketing person than maybe it would have historically been for me, where I spent a little bit more time enabling enterprise sales. And now I spend a little bit more time working with like the acquisition team, working with the community team and thinking more about that end user persona. And then kind of beyond that sort of motion, I knew that I wanted to stick around like a developer community. When I was at Bug Crowd, there was a very large security community that we were in the business of bounty. So looking for security vulnerabilities, we had a crowd of about 150,000 different researchers. And I 
loved that kind of vibe, that energy. And I was really hoping to find another company that had the bottom-up motion, product-led growth, and like a fanatical community around it. And that kind of fits the bill for DBT. Oh, wow. I want to dive into PLG, product-led growth. This is super hot right now. It's hard to escape it and you see it. I mean, because it's been done so well, Dropbox, Slack, right? And so now Fishtail Analytics is going to be part of these companies known as PLG. And you had mentioned that it's a little bit different within the product marketing. Can you dive into that? Like, What are some of those differences versus the enterprise? Yeah, I think probably the first time that really hit was when my manager said, hey, you're not going to be able to save the day with a one pager or a new sales tech. <laughs> and she did. She was not trying to be mean when she was saying that, but it is very much the truth. Like in previous roles, you really are the hero. If you can whip out a one pager really quickly or like a new guide or something to throw into a campaign for the enterprise customers. And here that matters. It matters a little bit less because your end user engineer analyst is not picking up that one pager. They want to be able to look at the product, get a feel for the product, experience it really quickly. They want to have an amazing onboarding experience experience. They want to feel supported. They want to have a community. And so those are the things you have to focus on. So the similarities are that you still have to think about your persona. Like persona is at the center of everything. You still have to map that out really well. You still have to figure out what drives them, what motivates them, what they need. But then you probably spend a little bit more time catering to that end user. And the way that you do that is thinking about like, how do I give them more value? How do I create materials that are going to educate versus just giving them like very high level organizational benefits? How do I get right into the nitty gritty of how it's going to make their day-to-day better. Yeah. And, and quickly, right? I mean, a lot yeah. of times it's like, how do I get to that aha moment? Right. And I know a lot of product marketers that are really, you're focusing on that. What is that aha moment? How do we get people there? Because in PLG, you may not ever talk to sales until very late stage, right? Where yeah. with enterprise, you're pretty much leading with sales and then uh, marketing is kind of supporting that role. So that sounds very intriguing. I love that it is uh, product led and that you are focused on that. You're there now over six months. What are some of those focus areas that you've been really channeling as you've been ramping up into the role? And then we're going to get into even growing your team here in a second, but talk to me about what you've been focused on. Yeah, it was kind of daunting coming in as the first head of product marketing because there are so many different things that I could help out with, like so many different projects that I can start and that I can lend a hand on. So how do you choose? And there was a lot of stuff in flight. There was messaging needed to be kind of redone. Maybe we'd be thinking about branding. Pricing is obviously always an ongoing conversation. Packaging, even things down to like, how are we mapping our value pillars to the actual product features? How are we launching new product features? How are we talking to folks? When I joined, we weren't running a single marketing campaign yet. And we still aren't. Like we're actually very fortunate that everything we have so far has been inbound, which is kind of the case with a lot of product-led growth companies. But so when I had to sit there and decide like, where do I kind of focus first? I realized it was less about prioritizing like a new sales deck over a product launch plan or a framework. It was really about how do I distill down to the one common thread across all of those things? And for me, that was really personas. We were not super crisp on the personas. We obviously have a fan base loves us, but exactly what does that look like? What are their titles? Analytics engineering as a discipline is still so new that I think we shouldn't have made any assumptions about what types of people are in that role, what attracts them to it. So I spent a lot of time getting super clear on that, doing a lot of customer interviews, trying to read between the lines, trying to figure out how folks were deploying DBT at their organization and what made it different from this other organization. I think that has helped out immensely because by the time I'm ready to pivot to go to the sales 
deck. And that's kind of what I'm in right now. It's so much easier because I have that voice in mind. I'm, I'm trying to make this deck for this person in this moment of the decision that they're making. Yeah. Personas. And it, plus, I also think I love it as like a good, I'm not saying like onboarding, but I love tackling it in the beginning because it also helps me ramp up, right? Yeah. Whenever you're thinking about do I know DBT? Am I part of that 13,000 people in this? Yeah. No, it's like, that's not me. Like I'm a PMM, right? And so I do think it really does help. And also we talked with some about getting those quick wins. This is a great win for the organization because it's going to help product. It's going to help the sales team. It's probably going to even help the CS team, right? And so kudos to you. I'm a big fan of personas in the beginning. Yeah, that's actually a really good point in terms of company visibility. I think a lot of PMMs, when they're starting to put those things together, there is a bit of anxiety around, right, but no one's really going to see some of these things right now. Of course, I'll make persona cards for sales. Of course, this is going to inform everything else that I do. But very fortunate that at Fishtown, we have this culture of really just showing everything that you're working on. Everybody provides a company update like every Friday, every team. So you can dive into it in Notion, which has made that, it was a really useful tool for us for just like getting thoughts out on paper. So even though, you know, when I started doing my customer interviews, I had maybe 20 lined up in there and I didn't have anything ready to go from that yet. Like no conclusions really drawn, but I still put a Notion page together that said like, here's why I'm doing this analysis. Here's my hypothesis. Here's what I'm finding out. And here's some early thinking around it. And everybody just dove into that and just looked at it. And it was really interesting. I think that's helping other people reframe how they're thinking about their work as well. And it didn't take me giving them like a polished few pages to show that work. So the more that folks can start peeling back the layers in PMM to show their work earlier, I think the better it is for everybody. Oh, huge call out. I mean, that one is huge. I want to read like double down on that one because yeah. the transparency is so crucial whenever you think about coming into a company, but also building that rapport gaining and earning that trust. It also helps you show other teams how you can provide value. And then the other piece that I really like, I love that it was written down and that it's a living document, right? And especially whenever you're a remote team, being able to work async, that's key. And so having that notion doc that you can return to, update as you need to, have notes, call out certain things, like that's, yeah. I think, a very big thing of scaling the work. Yeah, it has also definitely helped with people understanding what my role is. We have yeah. a, a lot of folks at the company who come from their domain experts. They were analysts themselves, they were engineers themselves. And we're really looking for just very good people that have the ability to kind of learn and pivot. So we've made a lot of hires for folks that have never done that job before. So a lot of folks that I meet have never worked with the PMM, didn't even know what the title was, thought it was product management or thought it was just marketing. And earlier in my career, that used to drive me nuts that people didn't know what I did. And it wasn't until later that I realized show them like that's yeah. the best way to do that rather than just try to explain it because you're always going to end up kind of narrowing it to one thing or another. When you just tell somebody, oh, I work on enablement materials, I work on some acquisition content, or I, I build personas, it doesn't really mean anything for them. When you start showing them the layers of things, here's the research work that I'm doing. Here's the question that I have that I'm trying to solve. It really crystallizes for folks what you're focused on. Yeah. And I also love too, that the weekly meeting gives you that opportunity too. I think if companies could adopt something bi-weekly, weekly, whatever that is, and give that platform, that's also, I think, again, kudos to the yeah. team. I mean, to uh, be clear, that's like, it's a Slack thread. So the whole company <laughs> on a Friday will be like, here's the experience teams update for the week. Here's my product marketing update for the week. Got it. Even things like, Hey, I'm having a really tough time on a remote team. Here's my thoughts about this. And here's some things I've tried. So just 
just that kind of level of transparency and vulnerability makes people feel more comfortable providing updates, even when it's stuff that's not quite polished yet. Oh, that's cool. Kudos to the team to being able to at least foster that kind of safe working environment where you can yeah. put out ideas and be vulnerable with those things that you're challenged with or struggling with. So that's pretty cool. I want to kind of pivot now to you're now growing the team, right? Getting some headcount. I'm just curious, like this is amazing, right? This is like every product marketer. Not only are you scared about coming in, you're establishing it, you're laying down that groundwork, but now you're going to get headcount. So it tells me you're doing something right. You're definitely providing some value. I just wanted to get your ideas. How did you go about getting the headcount? What kind of business case did you have to make? And then the next piece of that is there are many different types of PMs that you could go you know, and hire. How did you decide on these two? Yeah, so I am right now hiring for an alliances role and an enablement role specifically, which might sound a bit odd for folks, PMM being split out for just those two focus areas. In the future, I'm going to be hiring for additional folks on the team. In terms of how did I get headcount for those specific roles and how did I make those decisions? I wish I could give you my plan that I had in place that I presented to my manager that was kind of all busted <laughs> out. It didn't actually happen. It was actually her suggestion to me. Hey, you're doing a great job. We need more product marketers. And And it might sound trite to say by coming in and having that impact quickly across a number of different teams, by coming in and working really closely with sales right away, setting up weekly enablement sessions with them to make sure that they're aware of all the things happening on product, having weekly chats with the product team, getting a product launch plan together, which we didn't really have yet, getting an email cadence going because we weren't sending out anything yet from the marketing team, just getting like a monthly product update email together, getting these like few posts in the ground across a number of different functions, I think crystallize that it would be really valuable to bring in other PMMs because they could also be just as cross-functional. And that's kind of a really valuable investment for the company. In terms of why alliances and why enablement, I think I probably could have gone in a number of different directions. I am looking for somebody in a new role. This might sound kind of silly, but I don't think that I'm the best enablement person in the world. I think that I'm really kind of bullish about my opinions on things sometimes. Here's my positioning and messaging. This has been battle tested. I've run it through with the CEO. Like This is what we're going to do. Let's go and do it. And if that doesn't always work with sales teams, you really need somebody who leads with incredible empathy, who knows what it's like to be on the front line of sales. And I've been a solutions architect before, but it's really not the same as like kind of being in a hands-on sales director role. So I'm really looking for somebody who either has that kind of education experience, teaching, coaching experience, maybe even sales experience, because I really just want somebody to be a good intermediary between product, between myself, the CEO and the sales team, and to advocate on behalf of the sales team. Because I think it's less about coaching maybe as much as it is about having a conversation with an opinion. You want to make sure that you're kind of expressing why you believe the things that you believe, but always listening to what they're hearing on the ground and what they actually need to be working with. Nice. That's valid. I'm I'm with you. Like that's a pretty good framework when you're thinking through where I need help and what's ultimately going to be helpful. So we'll make sure to drop some links in there. If you want to go work with Lauren, please go apply as you should. So moving forward now, right? You're thinking about, and you kind of mentioned, you're going to be adding some more headcount. Like what does that look like for your team? Whenever you think about what is the next one or two PMMs? Yeah, great question. And we're still sort of always asking that question because it definitely is always evolving. So I definitely don't think that there's one set plan that I made three months ago and we're sticking to and we're driving through. It's evolving as the company's evolving, as different teams are evolving. I think the thing about hiring PMMs is that it often comes down to the environment that they're being hired into. What other people would they be working with? What are their weaknesses and what would a PMM bring in as strengths and vice versa? How do they complement each other? Originally, I was thinking about splitting it 
out by product line, which I know a lot of folks tend to do. A PMM is going to own that full product line end to end, everything from messaging and positioning outwards to enablement. I think the direction I'd actually like to take things in is having an enterprise PMM and a self-service PMM, because I just believe that those two personas are so different. The way they operate are so different. We kind of talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but I really love each one of those people to own kind of the end to end life cycle in terms of positioning messaging hours to enablement, but for a very specific type of persona for a very specific go-to-market motion. Yeah, that makes sense. I've seen both done and we've had past guests on that have done it almost that exact same way. I can think of Airtable. It was self-serve and enterprise, right? It was just bottoms up, tops down. It was just different motions. And you need to have someone really focused on making that user experience really good with different value props. And so... And then you think about who they'd be working with too. I can imagine a world where maybe the enterprise person would be the person to work with our campaigns manager or our revenue marketing role, the demand generation person. It's going to be a little bit more applicable to their world. And then maybe the bottom-up person who's more the self-serve motion working with the acquisition and content person on the team. That also just reduces the headache for those two new hires that they don't feel like they have to spread across every different person in the company. They kind of have their little cohort of four to five people that they work with on a consistent basis. Yeah, I think that makes complete sense too. I want to kind of shift, right? So we're talking about establishing product marketing. What are some of the challenges that you've had in your first couple of months, right? Yeah, I'm thinking of one in particular right now, which is why I'm smiling. That's probably been the most rewarding one as well. When I came in previous roles in product marketing, I've worked really closely with product teams. And I think from the outside, a lot of people thought product manager and product marketing in those companies, we were almost one and the same because they kind of saw us both together at all times. I would pair up with a product manager for a particular product and run it through to the end with them. And that was great. We had a really great cadence. They also had a real passion for how they'd be presenting things out into the market. Here at Fish, town, it's been a little bit different because my product management team is all full of kind of industry experts, that kind of domain expertise, which is so valuable and so fantastic to have. But they were thinking initially a little bit less about like, how do we package this up? How do we position this? How do we price it? How do we move that into market? And it's, I'm not saying those things are their responsibility, but I think we were missing a little bit of that connection point. So to bring in a framework that would help with the handover has really helped a ton where they're kind of without disrupting the way that they typically think about launching products. Here's the story that they write about a product. Here's how they're defining the requirements for that product. I come in at that point and say, Hey, what's the story that we're telling and who's this for? And how did we validate this? Did we go to customers? Did we go to the market? Should I go to the market and do some more validation exercises? And we have a conversation that midpoint much earlier. So it's not just like a handover for me to go launch things at the end. And I'd hate to be that person that's bringing in frameworks and spreadsheets, but it's made a huge difference because of the speed at which we're shipping things to have something like that in place. So it was tough in the beginning, I think, to get into a new flow for them, but it's definitely paid off in the end. That was a good one. We had a guest on and she said one of the very first things she did was just like, how do you establish swim lanes? It's just, I do this, you do this. Let's establish those areas of responsibility, what each of us is going to do. It's just going to help. It's going to be maybe uncomfortable for that first 30 minutes of that conversation, but just coming out of that meeting, just knowing it's like, oh, okay, this is what I'm going to work on, right? It's almost like an exhale. (laughs) 
Actually, I'll be honest, I gave the team sort of a, hey, here's the framework that I used to work with for launching products and outwards to campaigns. And I think there was a little bit of hesitation of like, this is a lot. And it truly was a lot. It was a massive spreadsheet. <laughs> I know that it probably looked terrifying. And it was maybe three months later, that's when the head of product came back and said, actually, I think that we're now ready. I feel like we're in a good place. We're making some changes on our team to start thinking about incorporating this. And that was perfectly fine with me. When I first introduced it, I said, all of this might not work for you. Like, let's strip out the things that are not appropriate for your team, the things that sound like would be useless for y'all as an exercise. And I think that helped a lot. So it's just the patience around it. And that's happened a lot for other functions of this company too, is kind of easing in a framework or a suggestion for a way of work, understanding it probably won't get picked up right away, but we'll probably come back around to it and being okay with that. I think has made a big difference. Well, I mean, you at least now know, right? It's one of those, one always told me like a no is not really a no. It's just a no right now. And so yeah. it's like the yes will come just later, right? And so- Yeah, and uh, if it doesn't, then maybe I need to rethink how I am like positioning correct. some of these things. So I think it's a win-win either way. Yeah, I mean, it's so tricky because you are trying to influence, right? But mm -hmm. you can't tell them what to do. Like you're not the CEO, but it also like no one wants to like go top. You don't want to come in and be like, this is the way it is. I mean, there are definitely some things the CEO needs to step in. But that said, I'm glad that you were able to at least present a framework just to show how you've thought about things. I think that's almost just as important of like, this is how we did it here, because they may have never even seen that before. And I think that's also yeah. really important. And that's a good way of putting it. It's actually probably less of, hey, here's how my other company was successful. It's more of like, here's how my brain works. So yeah. even if you don't like this, you're going to get a look inside of the way that I think about launching products. And that's going to be good for everybody. Even if you don't pick up this framework, you now know the way that I think about things, kind of some of the expectations that I have, and we can better meet each other in the middle then. Yeah, good point. And then around that too, whenever you're thinking through a lot of this, I'm actually curious, like, do you have any favorite tools that you use to track things? I know you just mentioned like a spreadsheet, but it sounds like you have a lot going on too. I'm just curious how you, this is a very tactical question. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. When I first started, I told you I loved using Notion. It was fantastic for getting down thoughts about things. It was creating a space to have a conversation async, which is really important for an async company. I had never used Notion before. However, I wasn't a big fan of using it for project management. I know for sure that there's, I'm sure people are going to message me and tell me that, hey, you can use Notion for project management. <laughs> but I found that a bit cumbersome. I'm used to coming from the world of like Kanban boards and Asana and even like any project management management tool you can think of. I feel like I've gotten my hands on to some degree. So I was really hoping the whole company would switch over to something like that. Yeah, We did just switch over to Asana and I'm just over the moon about it. <laughs> it's really <laughs> fantastic to just open it up every day, see the tasks. Everybody's yes. using it now. So I think I care less about the tools themselves as much as I do about the folks that have access to them and how yeah. can you work cross collaboratively. I think that's probably the case with every product marketing person. If the product team isn't going to use Asana, that would make it tough for me to use it then. So it's really good that they've also kind of bought in as well. The other one, I'm sure everyone says that it's gone. I love yeah. call recording software to listen on your walks in the morning to hear how pitches are going. I learned so much from my team. We have a really incredibly smart sales directors and solutions architects, unlike anything I've ever seen before. And they are constantly bringing new ideas to the table and they are staying within kind of the bounds of the basic messaging framework, but the way that they're positioning things, they're trying things out. I love to hear that. Like I'm learning from them. So 
I think it's great to have that. I think it's going to be great to help new hires on board as well, just to get up to speed super quickly. There's no better way to do that than just by listening to calls. Another good tip, especially in those first couple of months, if your team is using Gong, please, I'm with you 100% on that. I also love this too, because you get to find some, I'm going to call them rogue narratives. <laughs> you're like, yeah, mm, true. Yeah. That's not the narrative. I appreciate what you're trying to do there. <laughs> and so you're, you that's have to actually come a really good point because we did have a period of time before we really established clear personas where there is a very specific type of persona that we pitch to, and they're looking for something very different from like kind of what our core value proposition is. So I think that the instinct on those calls is to be the problem solver, to try to work out something for your customer that's going to work for them. And at the end of the day, you have to realize actually now you've taken positioning a little bit too far away from what our value prop is. And now we're in kind of like a danger zone. A, we might not be able to deliver that. B, probably can't scale it. C, we kind of risk diluting our message in market if we pitch to this type of person too much. Oh, Yes, I've had that conversation. (laughs) That sounds almost like, hey, when you do this, it's doing this, this, and this. Yeah, so that's always a tough conversation. How did that go, actually? I'm curious whenever you had to bring this up. Yeah, this came out with the persona work. I kind of had that theory. Oh, I think this might be happening. And so I labeled that type of persona, what I called a false champion. You have a champion persona who wants to buy the software. And in our world, it would be maybe like an engineer that really wants to make sure that analysts have access to the tools that they need. So we love that type of persona because they're going to accept the software into their organization. They're going to make sure that analysts are well-versed on how to use it. Now, everybody on the data team is valuable. There is another persona called the false champion that I mentioned. That's an engineer that says, my analysts can't do anything, actually. They're useless. So I'm just going to use the software. I love it. It's fantastic. I can't wait to get going. And we have to pump the brakes a little bit and at least be very aware of the situation you're walking into. That's not kind of what we're in business for. We're in business to help analysts create and disseminate organizational knowledge. That's what we do. We create our tools to cater to that type of persona or to teams that are have engineers and analysts working together in a very fluid way. We don't create tools for people to create silos around themselves. So I think all it really took was tagging those conversations that I'd had with customers in that notion page and being like, do you hear this kind of incentive here? Do you hear what some of the problems are? And tying it a little bit back to revenue because that kind of person is not going to expand licenses, right? It's just going to be kind of one seat. They also run the risk of building the solution themselves. Like that type of persona, what they're looking for six months later might realize, you know what, we're an open core solution. They can go away and kind of build everything they need on top of that. And once I think the sales team heard that, that was that moment of like, oh, you're right. We do have to be very careful about the way that we're pitching to that person. That's really well done. That's a highlight. You need to keep that one in your back pocket because that's a good win. I mean, that's a solid win right there. Coming out of the, you know, we talked about quick wins. I think that's a much bigger win to come in and be able to flag it, show them. Again, you talked about show, not tell. So really well done. Great story. I love that one. <laughs> I'm sure I, loads of people at the company already know that it's happening on some degree, but like that's the other job of PMM is every day is not going to be a light bulb moment, right? But if you're the person codifying things and linking it to like real evidence, then for every new salesperson that comes in that hits that moment, they're going to find my stuff. It would take them much longer to kind of find the anecdotal evidence or kind of weave their way through the different stories of the organization. So if my only job is to make that information readily available at their fingertips, then that's still a win. Yeah, for sure. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Let's get into some of these thrills and chills, right? This is the name of the podcast. It's all about establishing product marketing. I'm curious, what are some of those highs, those lows, those thrills, those chills of your career? 
of my whole career or like of this week. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, however you want to take it. I am open to either one. Yeah, I think the thrills are definitely the moments where I feel like I'm driving real change in messaging specifically, and not because it's something that just came out of my head, but because I've talked to this solutions architect, I've talked to the CEO, I've talked to this salesperson, I've talked to 10 customers. And when I'm able to kind of weave all those pieces together and tweak the messaging in just the slightest way that makes a big difference, that feels like a massive win to me. Earlier in my career, which actually turns into more of like a chill, are those moments when things did just come out of my head, when the whole sales deck would just be my idea of a thing and it just bombed, right? (laughs) So I think the thrill has been making that evolution in my own mind that I'm not going to be the one to come up with all the great ideas, but if I can be the one to pull in great ideas from other people and kind of apply that nice polish to it and align it to what our core values are and the core messaging, it sounds kind of calculated, but I think it's really beautiful when it all comes together. Yeah, I think that's spot on. That is a fun moment because this is product marketing. You have such a unique view, right? Into all these different teams, doing all these customer research, doing the interviews, listening to all of these sales calls, you're validating all of your hypothesis. So I'm with you. Always a really good thrill when you see light bulbs or you see even like a sales deck, right? Even in something as small as like the sales team is getting it. There's less questions. Velocity is picking up. They're closing deals. And you're like, yes, yes, we're doing it. Yeah. And I've definitely heard product marketing described as like the glue of the organization. And I do love that, but it absolutely has to be glue with an opinion. You have to have a hypothesis. When you go and conduct those customer calls, it's not just Hey, I conducted the calls. Here's a summary of the things that I found. Good luck. I conducted the calls with this in mind. Here's what I think I found. Here's something I didn't expect to find. Here's what I now believe. Do you believe the same thing? Yeah, that's a good one. So other side, you mentioned, you kind of teased out some of the chills, but like, what are some other chills you've got? I think, honestly, I can't get my mind away from one this week is developing our new sales pitch deck. I talked previously about how in previous lives, I would go away and be like, here's the eight slide deck. It's got the perfect story arc. It's not just solution selling anymore. It's so much more. You know, here's all the reasons why it's great. And then it bombed. I've taken a very different approach with the sales deck right now. I brought in the head of solutions architecture, the head of the sales directors, and we're pretty much doing it in collaboration together. I had a storyboard that I laid out. Here's what I've heard from the team that they want to be able to present. And I'm kind of more the facilitator now between them and the designer person. But there was a moment where they showed it to their team and the team was like, eh, we don't really like it. And I, and they gave me that feedback and I'm like, what? <laughs> no, like we worked so hard on this. Oh, I, sh- I should have just done it myself. But then in retrospect, it's kind of like, I'm so glad to learn that now. And if I have to go through like 15 iterations of this deck and we land on something that everybody loves, way prefer that than something that's not used at all. I think a couple of things to pull out and for those listening is it's also, it is an iterative process, right? I mean, you are the driving function, you are the driving role to get it done. But if you don't involve them and you do it in a silo, that's going to crash and burn. Yeah. I think I originally thought I was giving them a gift. I originally thought it was like, they don't want to bother with this. They don't have time for this. They have more important things to work on. I'll go away and do this for them and it'll be great. And that's really just not how enablement works at all. They need to be part of the process. They have such strong opinions and they have very good opinions and that's why they need to be part of it. Yeah. Especially being like newer to a company too, right? This also gets you that visibility and access to other heads of and other directors. And so I think that's also a good forcing function to collaborate, to work together. And again, they're bought in to the ultimate end of the product. So that way they can help 
hey, sales team, this is the new deck. This is now coming from the boss and it's got a little bit more weight behind it. Yeah, true. And that's honestly, that made me feel a little bit better knowing that they were so collaborative, the heads of the departments in the beginning, and it still wasn't something the team was super excited about. And that's kind of like a (laughs) dose of humility for all of us, right? But I'm super glad that it kind of went that direction. Yeah, we'll have to uh, maybe check back in in a couple of months and get an update on where that sales deck is. Is it on like V20? And like, where are we? Yeah. It's a living doc. I think that was something that I found too. I think it was a chill the first time when it wasn't set it and forget it. And you're like, oh wait, we have to like iterate on this. Like we're not done. And that was an eye-opening experience for me. I mean, it's kind of a tangent now, but I feel the same way about pricing. I always thought pricing was like, well, you lock it and you don't change it until you break it. And I realized, oh no, like you should actually be meeting once a quarter to kind of review where everything's at, make very small changes that you need to. And that's just the expectation. That's how a business operates. Oh man, we're out to have another conversation around pricing because admittedly, I am not a pricing expert. And so I would love to, we can have a different conversation about where the sales deck is and where the pricing is and some of the things that you think through for that. But Lauren, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Enjoyed the conversation and learning more about Fishtown Analytics and what you've been working on. Thank you so much. This is fantastic. I appreciate it. All right, everyone, feel free to follow Lauren. We got her link down there on Sharebird. You can follow her there and then also connect with her on LinkedIn. If you've got some Notion ideas, feel free to ping her on those. I'm just kidding. That wraps up today's episode of Thrills and Chills. And again, thank you Clue for being a sponsor of this show because with Clue, you can build and deliver battle cards to help sales close more deals. Stay on top of your competitor strategies and measure your competitive program's impact to the bottom line. Don't just compete, compete to win with Clue. And a special thanks again to Sharebird for making this podcast possible. We'll see you all next Thursday.